Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross, that managing editor, FightfulMMA.com, where you can go to get all of your MMA news. If you want wrestling and boxing, hit up Fightful.com as well. We are here on the MMA and Boxing YouTube channel. Subscribe, help us. we got a goal of about 1,000 by the end of the year. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of post shows here, a lot of our weekly shows here. Uh, we might still syndicate those on the Pro Wrestling Show but or the Pro Wrestling Channel, but we'll see how it goes. We'll play it by ear, my friends. We had a lot of news really emerge over the last few days. But we are joined by a couple of Torontonians, one of which who was at uh, UFC 231. James, how are you? How how was your? Are you back home? Yeah, I am. I'm back in Vancouver. I uh, got back uh, Sunday morning. For some reason, I had the genius idea of taking the earliest flight possible. So I actually didn't sleep on Saturday. I just went straight to the airport. So. But I survived. I'm here. That's the main thing. I wasn't here last week, so I, I'm happy to I be I mean, back. It, was, it was a 6 a.m. night for me. Like I didn't get to bed until 6 a.m. covering that show. And you were on a plane when? Uh, I was on a plane at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Woo! No, thank you. We are also joined by one showdown, Joe Ferraro. Joe, how you doing? Doing pretty good yourself, guys. Uh, you, you know, you all can follow Showdown Joe at Showdown Joe. You can follow uh, James at Lynch on sports. But we got a lot of news to get into, and I, I just want to kick it right off with the the big news that we had earlier today. One championship who has been making moves nonstop, signing Eddie Alvarez, signing Sage Northcutt, trading for Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Getting Misha Tate as a figurehead for the company has made perhaps their biggest move in North America yet, Joe. They've signed with Turner Sports. They're going to be on TNT. They're going to be on uh, BR Live, which is Bleacher Report Live, a subscription service. 24 events for 2019. This is getting started in a hurry. What We're going we're gonna to spend quite a bit of time on this, but what were your thoughts when you first heard it? Um. Honestly, not overly surprised. I know they've been trying to get into the North American market for quite some time. So good for them. Good for them to score in that deal. It's no different than Ryzen. Ryzen's been trying to get back. Uh, I know it's the former Pride banner, but they've been trying to get back into the North American broadcasting scene for quite some time. So uh, I know every time I go there and I travel there to Japan to do the play-by-play, I'm always wondering, you know, I wish this was showing back home somewhere in North America, Canada or the States. But um, they've been working on a deal, but good for one. One got a nice deal with TNT, and, and we'll see where it goes for them. But obviously, they've, they're holding their events, uh, and they're trying to get into this North American market. I wonder what that means for the UFC. I don't think it'll mean much, obviously, with them being on ESPN, but uh, it's another player in the industry from Bellator uh, to now One uh, and to other organizations. So it, they, they've established themselves in, a, in part of that Asia market where they're huge. I mean, they're massive. they got these crazy shows and really good production values, and now we'll see what happens when they come over 
uh, to North America, what that means for that hardcore fan that maybe wasn't watching uh, online or wasn't able to catch the 1FC shows, but now can uh, through their own television networks. James, what were your thoughts when you heard this news? I think it's great news, and I think it makes sense with the signings they've had. You know, they're really focusing on the North American market. I've said this a million times on the show. Uh, You know, they've neglected the North American market for years. And, you know, we hear of how great the fan base is in Asia. Well, we're going to put it to the test now because this is a a good network deal. They have uh, some notable names under the banner. We'll see how the ratings do. I hope they do well. I've said this many times. You know, I think that more competition in MMA is, is better. And uh, it, it's more outlets for other fighters. And I think this could be a very big positive. But this is a huge step in the right direction. Like Joe, I figured something was going to happen like this. But I'm just glad it's happened before the end of the year so we can kind of have something to look forward to next year. TNT, I can't stress how big of a deal that is. I mean, there's there's a book that's out called, uh, called Nitro, The Rise and Inevitable uh, Collapse of WCW, where the... <laughs> the writer spoke to dozens of Turner officials from the 1990s who quite frankly, didn't think that pro wrestling was in its portfolio, despite it being the highest rated program. And there, there are some parallels here, but TNT, like what better programming are they going to get at six in the morning than this? I mean, it could be a situation where like you hear that an episode of cops does better numbers than, than Bellator does. And that's, that's a very real possibility that, Dawson's Creek or whatever they're showing <laughs> in the morning. Supernatural does better numbers than than one championship. But my, my question is how the dominoes inevitably fall. Does this make Bellator step up their game at all, James? Because I kind of criticized them this week. James Gallagher getting his first main event fight immediately after being knocked out in three minutes. What? What are they? Alessio Sakara main eventing shows and getting knocked out in Italy. They're th- they're throwing like back to back nights often now with cards that don't need to be back to back nights. I it, Bellator is one of the most confusingly run companies. Will this motivate them a little bit, or will just nothing change? I, I think nothing will change. I think they they're they're more focused on those you know for when it comes especially when it comes to their international shows. They're more more focused on the event, not necessarily the broadcast. Um, you'd you'd hope they learn from this. I mean, Bellator does some good things. The fact that they're in Hawaii this week before the UFC is a very good thing. But the tape delayed stuff, the you know, um, just some of their their matchmaking. I, I just I wonder, you know, what who is pulling these strings and, and making these decisions when it's clear clear as day, like by everyone, even like the top journalists, people criticizing Bellator for having their content on tape delay. And you can't do tape delay content in 2019. You have social media. This isn't the 1950s where you'd have to wait till the paper came out the next day to you know see who won the score. I mean, let, let's get real here. We we they need to have live content all the time. There's no excuse for it. And you know, if Bellator wants to be a legit competitor to one in these other promotions, they need to show all their content live and that's my biggest pet peeve with them right now oh james i made a joke earlier since since one is on tnt they got to go three minutes early like wcw used to (laughs) right and give away the tape delay results of their competition just like eric bischoff would do on on the air to bellator if you're running i mean the the confusing decisions continue mvp and daily in connecticut what what well, that I that I get. Okay, I wanted to chime in on that because I know you guys talked about this last week. Um, I think that that is more because I think that's they don't want the tape delayed content because I think any of their international cards is on tape delay. So this one they wanted to make sure that hey, the fight's happening and it's live. You can't have that fight on tape delay. I think that was the reason they did it. But, but either way, it's still done. On tape delay. That's the thing. Like, why does it have to be? They've got DAZN and they. I mean, for the love of God, they're owned by Viacom. Yeah. So I mean, they they've got the deci- they can make the decision. They can go up and say, "Hey, 
you know, maybe just run a replay that night. We can run it live. Uh, Jay or Joe, any any thoughts about how this could affect Bellator and competition? Because Bellator will have competition in the States for number two now. Well, before you threw it to James, uh, I'm trying to remember, you know, verbatim what your quote was. And I think your quote was, Bellator is run stupidly or something like that. Confusingly. Or, or confusingly. It's an extremely puzzling promotion in terms of their broadcasting. I mean, we last show or the show before that, we looked at a prelim card that was stacked that should have had all those fighters on the main card and a main card which maybe had one, maybe two fights deserving to be on a main card. It's ex- It's extremely puzzling how they run that promotion. I don't know where it's coming from, whether it's Scott Coker, which I kind of highly doubt, to be honest with you, because he's a very smart individual and been around the promotion game for a very long time. I don't know if his hand is being twisted uh, or tied up by those at Viacom to say, no, we want this, we want that. It just doesn't make sense to what they're doing. And now, when you're looking at these cards that one is going to have on TNT that are going to feature the aforementioned names that you stated, uh, like the Eddie Alvarez's and, and the others that have signed over there, people are going to tune in and they're going to get numbers, not huge numbers, but they're going to get numbers. Like As soon as we know Eddie Alvarez is fighting, we're going to start talking about it. We're going to promote the fact that you can catch it on TNT, uh, blah, 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 blah. Just by that nature alone, anyone that tunes into our podcast live or, or afterwards will be like, you know what? I'm going to make some time to either watch that live or at least record it. So it, I, I'm... I'm What will it do for them? I don't know. I don't know only because just of what we've seen lately, I would highly, you know, think or imagine that they would look at that and say, okay, you know what? We do have to step up our game because what we're doing, if what they're doing right now, guys, in their eyes is making sense, then one coming over on, on the North American network is not going to do anything. Let's just be honest for a second. James, I want your input. What free agents do they go after? Josh Barnett's out there. Mark Hunt is out there. Those are a couple of big names just right out of the gate. Uh, also, Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, sorry, Vitor Belfort, is he still an option? I mean, I don't see why not. Retired? Eh, maybe not so much. Well, didn't he sign with Bellator? That was the deal that was on the table? I can't remember if it was him who did. I, I I don't know. I'm not. Yeah, not, nothing official yet. But I mean, I, they probably will go after some names. And then in terms of just people that have been released recently, maybe you get Where's some of those. Where's Keith flyers. Jardine? What's he doing these days? <laughs> He's uh, owning a coffee company, actually. With really, uh, yeah, uh, him and his uh, his wife, who's in the UFC, uh, Jody Escobar. They like run it. So. Well, oh, so, she got a she got a fight book today. Uh, Trick has mentioned that he's uh, he's acting. He's doing really good with stunt work and getting some really good gigs and acting as well. So, yeah. So, so yeah, th- there are some free agent options out there. Barnett and Hunt uh, are the first that come to mind right now. You never know uh, how PFL deals are going to last. How how those are going to work out. One FC or one championship, rather. I'm still not used to calling them one <laughs> championship has a chance. They aren't the only Asian uh, company making announcements. Also, Floyd Mayweather, Tenshin Nasakawa. It's on, Joe. <laughs> it's on, I guess. I'm still waiting to find out what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm going, if I'm calling it. So I'm, it's, what, December 11th today. Usually I get my itinerary December 1st. So, yeah. So hopefully I get to get wow. down there, but we're getting close. Oh, it's the same thing with Titan, guys. Titan's uh, next Saturday, not this Saturday, but next Saturday in Kazakhstan. So I'm apparently going to Kazakhstan, returning home for Christmas, and then heading back to Japan, uh, and then finally coming home January 1st. As of this moment, December 11th, I don't have 
any flight itineraries uh, in my inbox. So I don't know if I'm leaving, if I'm going, if I'm staying. Uh, you guys know me very well enough. I just keep my mouth shut. If it shows up, great. If it doesn't, I'm home with the family. Well, I mean, to kind of jive with your point, they announced just this week, they being Ryzen, hey, yeah, we are doing a second show because yeah. recently you were like, as far as I know, it's one. But to, to, three weeks before, they go, hey, second show. What, yeah. what, is, what would that mean for you if you were to work that show, Joe? Well, if it's on the same day <laughs> as the original show, uh, and they're opening the doors at 8 a.m. Um, it's the New Year's Eve show. So, I mean, if you just simply do the math, to get to the arena at Saitama from the hotel that we stay at is a good hour and a bit. So I would have to be at the venue at least at 7 a.m. Uh, in my suit and tie, all dressed up, funny makeup on, TV stuff on, and basically stay there till what, 10, 11 o'clock at night? So it's going to be an extremely long day for me and Frank and whomever's involved on the production side, not complaining, don't get me wrong, but it is going to be a very long day if that's the case. So yeah, uh, the press release, you know, I think, I think James, I'm not sure if you saw it, but Sean, you saw it, that it did talk about uh, streaming and stuff like that. Pretty sure Fight TV is going to air both shows, which means they need English commentary, which means it's probably Frank and I. So if that's the case, I mean, we're getting up at 5 a.m. or whatever it is and, and showering up, putting our suits on, looking all pretty and sexy and heading over to Saitama Super Arena. And hanging out there all day and, you know, hopefully get a chance to get a nap in, which I doubt. Uh, but other than that, it's going to be a very, very long day, to say the least. James, the the rule set came out for this Nasakawa Mayweather fight. What does it say to you? Well, I, I don't know what to expect at this point in terms of how it's all going to unfold. Like Joe said, until we actually see them compete, I mean, I they, the rule sets are out there. Is that going to actually happen? I don't know. Um, you know, again, it's it's it, honestly, it's so unpredictable. Like this whole thing wasn't even supposed to happen. That now it is happening. Like I don't know what to expect uh, in terms of what's going to take place. But I mean, at the end of the day, Floyd Mayweather's not going to make himself look bad. So, you know, just keep that in mind. That's that's a very good point. Very true. We had UFC two thirty one this weekend. Man, a great main event. We saw a lot of a lot of interesting stuff on this show. James, you were there live. Standout moment of the show. It had to be the main event with Ortega just, you know, taking those punches. And and I think just, uh, you know, just Max Holloway looking the best he's looked ever. There's so many question marks heading into the fight with his health, with him pulling out of the fight in July and, and the weight cut and all that. And, and he just completely silenced all those critics. And this was a huge opportunity for him. So much so that people were, he was the betting underdog in this fight, which is crazy. Like if you think about you know, how much external factors play into this. Uh, people really felt like Max wasn't going to be the same, that, you know, 45 wasn't the right weight class, but great performance by him. I think I think the main event, you have to take that away because now it opens up so many possibilities here. Does Holloway go to 55 where there's arguably bigger matchups? Does he stay at 45? Um, you know, we've got Moicano as the backup. That's not really an appealing fight, but he, he's an option there. You've got Jose Aldo out there, although I hope they never fight again because, you know, he beat him twice. Um, and then at 55, I mean, there's a whole, you know, row of guys. You've got Dustin Poirier, you've got Nate Diaz, you've got... Um, you know, what's going on with Conor McGregor. There, there's so many things that, uh, you know, sort of open up here. And I think it was just, uh, just overall, it really capped off what was a, a really, really, really good card on Saturday um, and, and arguably one of the best cards they've had in Toronto. Joe, what was the, the standout moment in that, that main event fight for you? Ortega, to me, has one of the greatest chins of all time. Well, I mean, if, if, no, if, if you aren't applauding Brian Ortega's resolve and, and just will to win and just continue despite being battered the way he was battered by Max Holloway. You're a jerk. That's just the way it is. I mean, that guy there showed us so much heart 
and what the human spirit can actually um, showcase in, in adversity. I mean, I got all the love in the world for Brian Ortega, but hot damn, is Max Holloway a bad mofo? That guy there just the pace, and I mean, he how in the championship round, in the fourth round, how can you switch a gear and increase your intensity? I have no idea. That guy there is something else. That guy there is just fantastic. Um, I, I, I got all the time in the world for Max Holloway, minus something he said in his post-fight press conference. Uh, he gets the jerk award for what he said about getting out of uh, the cold countries and going to Hawaii and having an event in Hawaii. Uh, you know, it's the Canadian fans weren't too appreciative of that, but I don't blame him. He deserves to headline an event in Hawaii. Um, you know, Bellator is going there. The only reason why the UFC has not gone there for, for a couple of reasons was, was A, the venue, but B, the state tax that they put on events and promotions. It is, I think it's over 10%, guys, if I'm not mistaken. It is a lot. You're giving up 10% of your revenue, guys. Like, that is a lot uh, when you're a promoter. So, um, Max Holloway is just something special. Is he the greatest featherweight of all time? I think everyone is agreeing yes. I'm, I'm, I've got to do more numbers on it. I'm going to say yes for now, but I do, I do want to take a look at all those numbers as well. Uh, I think James had mentioned what potentially could be next. Me personally, I want to see him fight Conor McGregor because he deserves a massive, massive payday. Uh, and then give me Frankie Edgar straight after that. Yeah, I would like the the McGregor fight. Dana White really wants Holloway at 155. Holloway is open to it. Dana White says that he has a lot of influence in making that happen. Don't want to see him against Aldo. And at 145, I, I look at everything and I'm like, man, there isn't a lot there right now at this at this very moment. You, you look at the landscape. Edgar just lost. Aldo's been beaten twice. Ortega just lost. You have Moicano. Maybe not a ringing endorsement that he missed weight as a backup fighter. If you're you're wanting him to make weight, you have Chad Mendez. That's an interesting option, perhaps down the line. People know him, but Jeremy Stevens just lost. Cub Swanson, I don't think we'll get there. So I don't think there's anything wrong with Holloway taking a fight at 155, James, and kind of letting things work themselves out at featherweight. Yeah, and uh, you know the, a lot of those names you mentioned, like Mendez is fighting Alex Volkanovski. If Volkanovski wins, that's great. He's undefeated, but. No one really knows who he is. So you put him in a main event. Same thing with Moicano. Like, I think at this point, Holloway's done more than enough to, you know, if he wants those big fights at 55, I think he's, he's well, you know, he's earned that right for sure. Um, but like you said, at, at Featherweight, there's nothing that's really screaming like, oh, there, there's anything big. I mean, I saw people throw Yeir Rodriguez's name up there. Like, yeah, I get that. But we're forgetting like two fights ago, he got completely destroyed by Frankie Edgar. I, I think you you got a gift in Yair, Yair getting this win. Let's build him back up again. Let's not throw him to Holloway. I mean, there's a beat out there, but again, the beat, the issue with him is that she hasn't, he hasn't fought a top 15 opponent. Um, so we really, I mean, he doesn't deserve anywhere close to a title shot right now. And then of course, yeah, like I mentioned, the, the Mendez Volkanovsky fight's going to be interesting. Aldo, it's funny, like Holloway's talking about how great Aldo is and he still feel, feels that he's the greatest featherweight of all time, but it he kind of in some way hinted that he'd want to fight him again. I'm like, why? Like, I mean, we've seen this twice. It's a, and it wasn't, it wasn't close. So I, I just, I have no interest in seeing that, but, uh, I, I think the UFC should get Holloway to go to 55. Get him to vacate his belt if he wants to, because again, I don't think there's many challenges there. And then do Aldo versus Moicano for the vacant title. Knowing Conor McGregor the way that we do, though, if you book him against Max Holloway, he's probably going to say, "Well, I'll, I'll cut to 145." That's the type of guy he is, <laughs> because you know he, he loves to have those titles, whether or not he defends them. But I love the idea of those two guys fighting at 155. You don't have to have a title. The main event's five rounds. You can have a rare UFC pay-per-view 
with no title on the line. And I don't think anybody's going to go, oh, gee, shucks, no title on the line. I'm going to pass on this one. No, I think that's that's an excellent fight. I thought that uh, Valentina Shevchenko defeating Joanna Janjacek, while uh, somebody confused, uh, like in our comment section, they're like, five on Joanna, why would you do that? And I had to explain that is literally if you have $5 to burn, which is why we say we're not picking her, <laughs> but we'll put five on her just in oh, case. Really? Valentina Shevchenko uh, molly whopped Joanna Janjacek, just muscled her around, hit a beautiful belly-to-belly suplex at one point. This was, in a lot of ways, very reminiscent of, of their, their fights, their striking battles that they had uh, early on in their careers until the grappling got involved. But Valentina Shevchenko, who many thought beat Amanda Nunes for the title earlier, I think this year, finally winning her championship. James, uh, your thoughts? Great to see. She's had to deal with a lot with, you know, the Nico Montano fight, uh, you know, falling through. And then, of course, the fight with Sajara Eubanks uh, got, got moved around as well. So this is a great win for her. Um, I just think long overdue, like like you said, you know, she had those close fights. She had two close fights with Amanda Nunes, actually. So I have to see her get a championship, I think is great. For Joanna, um, I mean, I don't know. Like, she's talking about going back down to 15 next, but I, I just, I don't see the logic there. I think this is a new division uh, for her. She looked a lot better. She seemed a lot better, like even doing media stuff this week, or last week, uh, just with her competing at 125, not having to focus on those extra uh, 10 pounds. So to me, um, yeah, I, I don't know why. It seems like Dana also wants her to go down to 115, but it's like, as long as Rose is champion, you're, you're going to be Rich Franklin the, the, the whole time. Like, and, and realistically, like, who else can she fight? Um, you know, like, like, well, there, there, there are options for her, but then you're sort of killing those contenders as new blood at the top of the heap. So I would like to see Joanna stay at 125. And for Valentina, I mean, this is a new division. Uh, I'm happy to see her carry the torch because she was great this entire week. I don't know if you saw the open workouts, but she was doing all these crazy moves and everything. She's, she's, she's great. I mean, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's sort of a nice uh, thing to see her be a champion. And I think she'll represent the sport well going forward. If Joanna is forced to 115, she could become Rich Franklin in a more literal sense with one championship running uh, domestic shows and seeking out free agents in that regard. Uh, one championship has Rich Franklin as a figurehead as well. Joe, Valentina Shevchenko getting it done. Now, I, I mentioned how close that fight was with Nunez, where she she very well could have won. The majority of of fans and media, I think, had uh, had Shevchenko winning. She beat Holly Holm. She beat... Juliana Pena, she's got a win over Sarah Kaufman. She has a justifiable homicide on her record in Priscilla Cachuera. She has a lot of, also, thank you to Mario Yamasaki for finally stopping that fight mm-hmm. just before UFC 231 started so Valentina Shevchenko could get in the cage and win a title fight. But she also beats Joanna. So you look at this, Joe. She has competed there with some of the top women at 115, 120, or 125. 135, 145, essentially, because you got to put Holman in there. Uh, she probably should have been the first 145 pound champion. What does this say about Valentina Shevchenko? James, in case you missed the last show, Sean and I were talking about this very thing. If she does emerge victorious versus uh, you want to get Jacek, what does this actually mean for her? And my caveat has, cha- has not changed whatsoever. The bottom line is for me, the only way we can put her in the top ever. Uh, greatest of all time is a fight with Cyborg. That is it. And I know Amanda potentially will take out Cyborg, uh, which may put her up there, but we all can pretty much agree that Valentina defeated Amanda in their last fight, right? So um, despite what the judges said there. So it's it's tough to say. I, I mean, in watching that performance against Ioana on Saturday, 
Um, it, it takes me back to when, you know, I was heavily into striking and a lot of my boxing days and my Muay Thai days. Uh, and I used to always get my, my, my coaches and instructors, move Joe, move Joe, move Joe. When my natural, my natural fighting was, was, was a counterfighter. I was always a counterfighter. I wasn't very overly aggressive until the opportunity presented itself. And here you have Valentina doing what she did against Joanna. Not much head movement. We saw that. But the understanding of the, of the distance the angles, and when to attack was just something magical to see a woman do uh, in the cage to make other men basically be like, whoa, what is happening here? I mean, the explosiveness, some of those takedowns were ridiculous. She got air on some of those takedowns. Like, yeah. I mean, you, it was unbelievable what she was doing. So I think she's one of the best of all time. I just think that Cyborg fight is right there. I want to see what happens with Amanda and Cyborg uh, in the next pay-per-view, but yeah, I think she's she's right up there, and you know, I, I, her post fight comments were were more. A lot of it was directed. The first few answers were directed at Nico Montana. Like that was just simply like she was, you know, happy and and thankful that Ioana's professional and showed up to the fight. There wasn't going to be any issues and all that stuff there. I was like, damn. So you know, what, what does Valentina do from here? I like to see her go on a nice little run, which she likely will. Um, you know, someone always has someone's number. We know that, but I want to know who was going to be that fighter. That's going to have Valentina Shevchenko's number for sure. Yeah, and and Amanda Nunes to a degree uh, early on. She had that doctor stoppage against Liz Carmouche way back in the day. And hey, Liz Carmouche is in that division. And Liz Carmouche, I don't think there are a lot of women at 125 that she can't hang with, to be honest with you. I think Liz Carmouche is an incredibly underrated fighter and always has been. But we'll see how it hashes out. But But James... Who is next for for Shevchenko? We had Jessica I win her fight, and oh, I mean, Jesus. my God, if she <laughs> if you know anything remotely positive happens to her, she's screaming for a title shot. And <laughs> it seems like a lot of her complaints at one thirty five are rooted in truth. But she hasn't been finishing people or anything. But Shevchenko seems open to the fight. Yeah, um, I, I think I think at this point it, it has to be Jessica I just because of the fact she's on a winning streak. You got Sajari Eubanks moving up to 135 now. Uh, the options are really slim at this point. And, and again, it's just one of those, like people look at it as like, oh, she hasn't deserved it or whatever. But it's it's really just comes down to timing in a lot of situations. Rafael Sunsau was owed a title shot two years ago, basically, with the amount of wins he's got. But it's just it's just the sake of the division. There's stuff moving, a lot of moving pieces. And flyweight, not so much. So I think I probably will get it next. I think she's making a lot of noise. Like people really generally don't like her, uh, you know, with her comments because they think she's, you know, full of it or whatever. So I think that even plays into it because it's like people want to see her lose or whatever. So I, I think it will be Jessica I next. Um, she, she, uh, in the post fight scrum, I don't know if you guys caught it, but she was like blaming the media. She's like, you guys got to promote me more and all this stuff. And so it's, God. you know, it, it, it ruffles some feathers, which, you know, I think can be good and bad, but I oh. think, I, I think that will probably be, uh, be next is, uh, her. Yeah. Maybe a good idea for her would be to not accuse the media of lying when she failed a drug test. Right. Yeah, that, that happened. And I remember that happening and that was not a good look, but I mean, it's not the job media's job to promote her. It's her job to promote her. If she wants, if you know what, if she, she can reach out to you, she can reach out to Joe. She can reach out to me. She can reach out to, I'm sure Ariel Hawani, I don't know if he had her on, on his show, but I'm sure he'd love to have her on the show. He has a lot of people on the I, show. I interviewed her the very first, in her first, when she made her debut in the UFC. Um, she was one of the fighters that was brought in that, you know, we had to promote. And that was part of our gig at Sportsnet was I asked for the UFC many, many times under Schaller and, and before Schaller, 
give me the fighters that you want me to promote. I'll have a conversation with them and we will ensure that we package things accordingly to make the fighter look positive and, and get people to relate to them. And I remember sitting down with her and thinking to myself, what an absolute gem. She is amazing. She's fantastic. Everything is good. Great on the, great with her answers and stuff like that. No more than two hours later did I see a different human being. It's the human being that you guys all see all the time. And I thought, whoa, is that what we're dealing with now? I'm going to pay attention to this one uh, over the next, you know, for the remainder of her career. And it just played out the way it is. It was just one of those scenarios I was like, man, you, you're not going to do good with the media. You're not, and that was in my heyday, guys. I said, you're, you're not going to do good with the media if, if this is the way you act. If, if, if you're going to, people will see through. Over time, many people uh, in the industry will see through a lot of fighters that come off great or terrible in interviews and are vice versa afterwards. So it, it takes time, but eventually people see through it all. And you see it in her post-fight interview sometimes. You're just kind of like, oh my goodness, what did she just say? Or what is she doing? Right? But I want to say this about Jessica. This fight here uh, versus Caitlin showed me some exceptional improvement in her boxing, guys. I thought she looked absolutely fantastic. I know it was a close fight. Uh, I really wanted Caitlin to somehow get that fight down on the ground to see if we could see more. But you got to give Jessica props. I mean, her her aggressiveness, uh, her cage control, and her her willingness to continue to try and end that fight should be commended. She did really, really well with that for sure. Yeah, not easy to frustrate a Caitlin Chikagian who is so good at frustrating other fighters and, and probably frustrating Dana White too. She has no finishes in her six UFC fights. Also, our boy Elias Theodoru, Fightful alumni. Between Tough and UFC, he has 10 and 2. Decisions aplenty. This was another one, and this one was close. A lot of people thought that Eric Anders won this one. Joe, what did you think of this uh, as we kind of quickly wrap up this fight? I scored it as a draw. 10-9 Elias, first round, 10-8 Eric Anders, the second round, 10-9 Elias uh, in the third round. That gives me a draw of a scorecard. But, uh, you know, it, it, I looked at this fight originally and thought you know, Elias was going to be in big trouble if Eric tees off on him. And Eric did tee off a few times, and Elias took it. Elias took it like a champ and just kept going and going and going. So kudos to him. I liked, I, I never compliment Joe Rogan. That's extremely rare. But I do compliment Joe Rogan. Um, and the broadcasters in general, John as well, you know how they were describing Elias' style in the first round because it was truthful. It was honest. He's a very difficult guy. Uh, the analogy of the curve, I think it was not the curveball, but there was another analogy, a changeup. Um, he fights as if he was a changeup pitch, right? You just don't know what you're actually going to get. I think he did an absolutely great job to, to overcome adversity. Uh, and I told, I mean, James, you missed it last week, but I said it to Sean. I said, if you're looking at, at me predicting an Elias fight, it's usually first round he feels his opponent out, second round he generally dominates, but third round we never know what's going to happen with Elias. Um, you know, he, he ends up screwing himself uh, in third rounds. This one was completely different. He owned the first round, took a beating in the second round, came back in the third round. It shows the education and the evolution of the fighter. I think it was fantastic. James, you were also there to see Gunnar Nelson just open up Alex Oliveira. Oh, gross. Mm -hmm. Shades of uh, Joe Stevenson and BJ Penn a little bit, you know, in terms of the blood level. That was that was crazy. I mean, that elbow, you don't see it on the first shot like when it was happening. Um, you just see the submission and you see his face just looking like, you know, uh, 2% level on doom. Uh, but it was uh, it was one of those things where, you know, after you see that elbow and it just boom, just the blood comes out and. Huge win for Gunnar Nelson. I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy who was coming off a loss, had the layoff, 
and you know pretty much was considered a bit of a write-off in the division and this was a fight where he was fighting a much bigger guy and he comes out there and gets an impressive finish so big win here for Gunnar Nelson who uh you know seemed to uh, really you know kind of emphasize that he wants to be more active because he missed a lot of time this year with injuries there's really no way from a technical standpoint to break down Tiago Santos defeating Jimmy <laughs> Manoa at yeah. one point Tiago Santos went for Kofi Kingston's WDB finish named Trouble in Paradise it did not hit but the fight was outstanding. One of my favorite light heavyweight brawls of all time, James. This was a hell of a way to kick off a UFC pay-per-view after that prelim show, or that that Fox Sports 1 prelim card, rather. The, the Fight Pass prelims ruled that kind of slowed down. This was such a bipolar-paced show, and this was a, a great way to kick it off. Tiago Santos getting a win over Jimmy Manoa. Manoa, I think, is just falling, falling, falling. He stuck in there. He could, he, if he connects, he could beat anybody, but that wasn't the case. Meanwhile, Tiago Santos has won seven of his last eight. He's 2 and 0 at light heavyweight. I think the win over Eric Anders is a legit light heavyweight win because of how big Anders is. We're probably seeing him up there soon. What did you think of this fight? It was unbelievable to me. Well, I want to echo what you said. I think this was a great placement on the card in terms of the matchup. But let, let's also talk about the matchup itself. This was great matchmaking. I mean, you have a new uh, guy, you know, sort of new blood in the division in Tiago Santos, taking on a guy in Jimmy Manua who's fought the who's who. And, you know, Manua, let's be honest, 38 years old, not a lot of upside at this point. So he's, he's fighting a guy who, by the way, I forgot about this. And they mentioned this in the media scrum. You remember Tiago Santos fought at welterweight at one point. So the fact that he's a light heavyweight now, a big light heavyweight, I should mention too, like he's a, you know, he's a pretty solid guy, um, just speaks volumes to, to what his body has gone through over the last couple of years, but huge win for him. Um, how crazy is it that him and Anthony Smith are having so much success moving up a weight class? I think that's great. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is huge for, for Santos. I mean, I was saying this the other day, like you could almost do a tournament at 205 just with how many names are out there. And, you know, where does where do people fit in there? You've got uh, Yan, Yan Blakovich, you've got Dominic Reyes, you've got Anthony Smith, you've got Santos now who's got a couple wins. Um, I think, I think the, the division's wide open right now and it's really exciting. What are your thoughts on this one? Dude, come on, Sean. <laughs> you know if I'm going to talk about Tiago Santos, I'm going to be smiling ear to ear nonstop. James, you know me long enough. This mm-hmm. guy is violent. He is violence personified. He is, he is a warrior that has come down from the heavens above that we probably saw thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago in the jungle that no matter what, it's your life or my life. And that's how he fights. And he won't stop no matter how much pain he's in because he got rocked in that fight by Jimmy Manoa. Uh, the fight played out exactly how Sean and I had described it last week, James, that it's just going to be a disgusting display of awesomeness and violence. And it's exactly what happened. You get Tiago Santos at any time, whenever he competes, it's guns a-blazing, somebody's going to sleep. Nine times out of ten, somebody is going to sleep. That is the goal. This is not a guy that's going to sit there and bore us to sleep. Um, you know, it, Dana White should be coming out with his old-school um, like old school speeches, how when he complained about this is not the ultimate touching championship or the ultimate grappling championship or the ultimate holding against the fence championship. This guy is the ultimate fighter. He's the ultimate fight. In, like, it's just fantastic. So I think he was great. If I can go back to the Gunnar Nelson thing for a second, Sean, um, the way he landed that elbow. So I've got this, this grappling doll that I had to order all the way from California. It cost me a fortune uh, to get it shipped over here to, to, to my place here. Uh, it's life-size, it's human, it's heavy, and it lets you work on your rear naked chokes, your arm bars, your leg locks, and your ground and pound. And I remember when uh, there was a seminar up here, a couple seminars up here, uh, where I was a guest with Greg Jackson, 
And when we're doing a bunch of things, he pulled me aside. He's like, how do you throw your elbow and mount? And I showed him what I was doing. He goes, perfect. Now I want you to do this as well. And it was the exact technique that uh, Gunnar Nelson did. So when it actually was thrown, I was not only in awe, but when I saw the replay of how it's how it was so the bone perfectly connected uh, on Cowboy's you know skull, it did exactly what Greg Jackson said would happen if you do that in a real fight. And it was just awe inspiring. Although I feel terrible for Alex Oliveira, Oliveira, but man, I got to tell you that 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 technique that Gunnar Nelson had was also something that Jeremy Horn taught us way back when about grabbing the wrist guys and letting your opponent dictate where your wrist goes. And as soon as they bring their elbow down, bang, you follow it up across, right? So uh, kudos to Gunnar Nelson. What a fantastic fight that was. Lots of stuff on this show, uh, but I want to know, James, what stood out to you most? To me personally, there were two things uh, outside of what we've talked about. Brad Katona hitting a Katawaki choke. Right, yeah. Which I couldn't believe it. A crucifixed rear naked choke. Uh, Didn't finish off. Matt Lopez technically, but uh, there was some discussion about that. Also, Nina Ansaroff beating Claudia Gedalia. We might have an MMA power couple with with her and Amanda Nunez. That that's unbelievable. But what stood out to you? Yeah, the, the Ansaroff fight for sure. I think that was a, a big surprise to me. Anyways, um, I, I thought her getting the win over Claudia was, was impressive. And Claudia, I mean, you talked to her, po- you know, pre-fight. I mean, she's pretty, she's pretty cocky. She's like, you know, I, there's levels to this. I'm definitely, you know, a lot better. I, I think Claudia underestimated Nina Ansaroff. They used to train together years ago at Masters MMA. Apparently, Claudia is saying she got the better of it. Well, it didn't look like it here. I don't know if the injuries or what the deal is with Claudia right now, but I mean, even her last fight, I think she arguably lost that one. So Claudia's really got to go back to the drawing board here. But Nina Ansaroff, I mean, who would have thought uh, starting her career off? I think it was like in the UFC, things like one and three or something like that. And now she's really turned things around and she's on, you know, quite the winning streak. She'll probably get a top flight opponent next just with how the division's working out. So good for her. And then the other surprise for me was Diego Lima. This is a guy who's going to lose his job. I looked at this fight on paper and I said, this is a this is a fight that Chad Laprise is going to be set up to win here. Lima having that really disappointing performance against Yushin Okami. And he knocks him out. And now we've got to start talking about Chad Laprise now knocked out in two straight fights. We thought the chin issues were at 55. It looks like they're catching up to him at 170 now. Not a good look for him. I think Chad will get another fight just with the fact he's an ultimate fighter winner. And Diego Lima's got some life. that I've never seen someone so happy winning a UFC fight. That guy's always oh, in a good not. mood. He's always in a good mood, but just the fact that, you know, he got that win there was great. And um, maybe the only other thing, uh, you know, I, I thought was interesting is just uh, Diego Ferreira going through three different opponents. Had a little bit of trouble early on, but eventually gets the win over Kyle Nelson, who's typically a featherweight. But just just not not so much him, but just the gym, Fortis MMA. They've been on a roll this year. Um, they, they've really, you know, Jeff Neal. They, they just have some really good fighters that have really been, uh, you know, putting that team on the map. And I think that was just sort of a, a culmination of that with with the win he got on uh, on Saturday as well. So I thought that was impressive too. Yeah, uh, when you talk about Gadelia, she's a person who hasn't fought Rosnama Yunus yet, and could could have been right up there, but that that She's lost. Not fighting her now too, so yeah, yeah. That's that's not going to happen for a while. Joe, anything else on this show stand out to you? Uh, James, I thought Chad was going to lose the fight. I just really okay. Yeah, I just I just figured it. Uh, although it was Diego Lima, and I thought you know what, it could be fifty fifty because both those guys have a tendency to to now take punishment and then go down quick, or not go down quick, but the body shuts down. Um, I just I just looked at this and I thought something about Diego Lima. That may be able to get Chad's number, so I kind of figured that. I, I like. Did you put, did you put five in it though? Because you know what the odds were in the fight. Him winning yeah. in round one was plus thirteen hundred. I know, I know. Uh, crazy. And to answer your question, I did not. Oh, no. Okay. But yeah, um, uh, the, the, I, the Gilbert Burns Olivia Mercier fight for me, Sean, was was fantastic. Only because uh, it showed some resolve in, in Olivier. 
Um, he was not going to be able to get this fight to the ground, or if he did, he was not going to be able to play as much as with Gil Burns, so he had to rely on his striking, uh, and his striking did come across pretty damn well, if you ask me. It's just that Gilbert's just shined a bit more that night uh, and did a great job. So um, there was one, which fight was it? I think it was the uh, Dawoodoo fight where one judge, yeah, one judge had it 29-28 while the oh, other two yeah. had it 30-27 the other way, and I just thought to myself, what are you guys watching? What are you guys yeah. watching? How do you do that kind of stuff? I get it. But the one thing I didn't like about Hakeem was how he yelled at the doctor afterwards. I'm fine. I'm fine, dude. Doctors are doing their job. And the doctor backed off. And I don't blame the doctor for backing off because you're still going to go backstage and get checked out. But as a professional fighter, I, I, I know there's emotions and adrenaline involved. Let, let the doctor check you out. You could be perfectly fine. Let him just or her check you out uh, before you start sell or before you continue what you're doing. So I thought that was well, kind I, of. Uh, I was going to mention Hakeem. If you know him, he's he's very he's a very intense guy. He's not your typical yeah. fighter. He's very so seeing him do that didn't surprise me just because he's not yeah. like like I get it. He's got to be professional, but just knowing him, he's he's a very he's a different guy. He had a really uh, difficult upbringing, so he's just not he's not a used to too though. He's a badass. He that no. he, I mean, he don't take out Carl Blockneck the way he did. I think he's going to do really good in the UFC uh, and as he gets more reps. Dana said it before, right? As the fighters get more reps in the octagon, they tend to shine a lot more. So look, pay attention to this featherweight. He's going to be really, really good in the UFC, in my opinion. One more thing i got to mention before we move on, because uh, I, I want to get this in here. Did you guys see me ask uh, Claudia Gadea about the, the Instagram comment? Did you guys see this? I no. didn't. What'd she say? Oh, oh, gosh. Okay, so you know okay, you know the whole backstory here, right? That she made that comment on Brian Ortega's Instagram like a few months ago saying, I want to have your babies. Did you see this? Oh, Ooh. no, I didn't. So I asked Claudia in the media scrum about that. I, I was like, hey, you know, have you run into Brian this week? Because that was a pretty, you know, that comment went viral. And she starts blushing and she starts laughing. And it yes, was the most James. priceless thing. And, uh, and and find the clip if you can, but I guess the Mac Life posted that like that little clip on there. I see the thumbnail. And, 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 the, uh, and the guy uh, from Mac Life, Oscar, great, great guy. I've worked with him before. Uh, he's like, dude, you just saved my weekend. Th- like this like went viral and everything, like her reaction to it. So I thought that was 267,000 cool. views. Yeah. My God. Yeah, she was blushing over that. <laughs> we have UFC Milwaukee this Saturday. It's likely I'll do a post show. Uh, after that, uh, we'll probably talk to Bellator shows next week, may squeeze some of that in there, but we're going to preview UFC Milwaukee right now, give you some fight odds, things like that. Kevin Lee, a minus 310 favorite in a rematch against Al Iaquinta. Iaquinta beat him. Iaquinta a plus 255. I am a full believer that Kevin Lee is perhaps the future of this division, or at least one of the futures of the division. So does GSP. GSP says that he thinks that Kevin Lee will be the UFC's next big crossover star. I couldn't agree more. I think that had Kevin Lee not battled a staff infection, we're talking about somebody besides Tony Ferguson uh, facing Habib, or probably already has. I think that Kevin Lee's more well-rounded game gets it done. James, what do you think? Yeah, I, I do. Um, the odds, though, are a little bit scary to me in a way because, I mean, on paper, Lee is the better fighter, but Lee's had some holes where he gets caught every once in a while. Remember in the Edson Barbosa fight, as dominant as he was in that one, he did get tagged in that fight, and we know the type of knockout power that Ally Aquinta has. If you're looking to put five in this fight, find the Aquinta by knockout prop. That is something I think would could potentially happen here. But saying that, I mean, Lee should get the win here. He's, 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 got, he's got really good wrestling. He's got really good striking. Overall, he has evolved a lot more than Al has since their first fight. He should win. 
but there's always that risk where he gets tagged. I mean, he it, he got knocked out. Um, who's the guy who hasn't fought in forever? Jose Aldo's training partner. He knocked Kevin Lee out. I'm trying to remember his name, but um, uh, you know, there, Leo Santos. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, so you know, Lee has had uh, you know issues like this, and in, in, you know where he's been tagged. So that's my only worry in this fight, just because Al is a really good striker. But I'm picking Kevin Lee. Santos, an excellent fighter too. It's just he's 200 years old and never fights anymore. But I mean, Leonardo Santos, an awesome fighter. So I mean, getting knocked out by him, especially Kevin Lee. He was so young then. It was three years ago. But I, I agree with you. I would put five on the the Iaquinta knockout situation. Joe, your thoughts on this fight? I'm not putting five on that. Kevin Lee wins this fight. I think he dominates Al. Although Al will put the pressure on him. We all know how Al Iaquinta fights. Uh, I just think it sucks that he's a real estate agent in New York and I can't do mortgage deals for a fellow real estate <laughs> agent in uh, New York. But uh, if I ever get my license in New York, I'm calling Al and say, dude, let's do some deals together. But uh, I, I, I think, I mean, I, I just want to hear every single interview he does uh, leading up to the fight, of course, leading up, uh, you know, fight week and then, you know, potentially post fight because he's just, to me, he's just makes me laugh and smile. I've got all the time in the world for him because I spent some quality time with him and the team uh, with Matt Sarah and Ray Longo every time I went down to New York. So, uh, I just think Kevin Lee is just on another level right now. And Kevin Lee, I think come next, um, you know, by next week's show, but come Sunday morning, we're all going to be thinking, hmm, this guy belongs up in the upper, upper echelon of the division. So no ifs, ands, or buts. Dan Hooker taking on Edson Barboza. This is a pretty even fight on uh, as far as betting odds are concerned. Dan Hooker has won five of six, won four in a row, all finishes facing Edson Barboza, who has lost back-to-back fights for the first time in his career. However, those back-to-back fights, Kevin Lee, Habib Nurmagomedov. His last loss before that, Tony Ferguson. You, then you got Michael Johnson who can just show up and, and beat anybody. It's just the way it works. Donald Cerrone, another one of his losses. So Edson Barboza generally only loses to top five talent. That seems to be the way that it goes. However, we, we don't know what the years have done to him. Dan Hooker definitely on the come up. He's 28 years old, a guy that the UFC likes. He finishes fights. I expect fireworks here, Joe. Uh, I think the odds are right where they should be on this one. Yeah, yeah. I think you're correct in that. I'm not sure if James is going to agree, but I like where the odds are right now for both of these guys only because uh, it's going to show a lot of where Edson Barbosa is at the moment uh, with his career. Uh, And it's also going to give us a a telltale sign of Dan Hooker. Does he belong up there, right? And I think it's going to be an interesting scenario because I think the – I'm not saying the playbook is out there to how to defeat Edson Barbosa, uh, but sometimes if you bully him, you end up emerging victorious. Uh, and Dan Hooker, Dan Hooker has a way of doing that. He can do it. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But Edson Barbosa, if he uses his footwork uh, and doesn't find himself in any trouble where he's mentally may have a mental lapse in the fight or isn't getting beat up, tends to be so precise that he KOs people. We already know that. So uh, it's a great dynamic in terms of a fight. It is one of those fights that I'm just like, you know what? Ref, step out of the way. Let me see these guys go. We mentioned uh, being back where somebody belongs. Maybe that's where Sergio Pettis, what or what he's doing. Back to Bantamweight. Seven and one there in his career, James. Uh, he's a guy that even when he lost at Bantamweight, I think he was in a fight of the night contender. So, I mean, uh, performs very well there. But flyweight always seemed like an easy route to a title. As we learned, not so much. For Sergio Pettis, I thought he would get a title shot for sure, but he's taking on Rob Font, and the betting lines have Sergio Pettis as a plus one forty-five favorite. The line isn't big enough for me to put five on it, but I would not be surprised to see Sergio Pettis surprise 
uh, the betting line at least, and, and emerge victorious here, but taking on a Rob Font who isn't going to make that easy, although he is a bit inconsistent. I think uh, he, when facing some of the top-of-the-line guys, he's, he struggled. I mean, he knocked off Thomas Almeida, who isn't what we thought he would be, but uh, how do you th- see this one going? Yeah, I think uh, to use a, a good pun here, I think Font's going to make a bold statement in this one. Uh, you know, it. taking ah. out uh, you know really tough guy in, in Pettis. You know, look, here's the thing. You know, Font's fought at that weight class more. Font's going to have a height and reach advantage in this fight. Um, to me, you know, usually when a guy moves up, uh, you know, you, you tend to favor the guy who's who's been in the division more, and I think I think that's fun, and I think the line's right where it needs to be. Pettis has all the tools. I mean, he's he's gotten close. I mean, much like Font. Uh, he's sort of lost to the top guys or, he, you know, you think he's going to be close to a title shot and then he loses or he has like a, a lapse in a fight, like kind of like Font did against Pedro Munoz and kind of like Sergio Pettis did against uh, Ryan Benoit. So, I mean, both these guys have been inconsistent in their career. The question is, who's going to get it done? I'm leaning more towards Rob Font in this one. I just think, again, I, I think he'll be able to utilize his reach. He's not going to get in bad situations. And you look at his last fight, he lost to a guy who probably should be fighting for the title in Rafael Asuncao. I mean, it's it's to me, that that, that that's not a bad loss in your resume. I, I think Font gets it done. I think he uses his range well, and I think he I think he probably takes home a decision. Nothing nothing crazy, but I, I think he gets it done. Yeah, he might flip the sand script on uh, <laughs> old Pettis. Well, the I mean the underlying factor here, God damn it. Uh, is who's going to make an impact, right? So you got to take a look at. In my opinion, you're, you're giving me a lot of Helvicta over this. <laughs> no, honestly, though, honestly, it's Sergio Pettis, guys. The sense of urgency, right? Like so- if he doesn't have the sense of urgency. He's going to lose his fight. Charles Oliveira, minus 300 over plus 250. Jim Miller might be one I got five on because, quite frankly, the question just is, there's no way to break this down besides, James, does Jim Miller guillotine Charles Oliveira? Does Charles Oliveira choke Jim Miller? That's how I fully expect this fight to go down one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, at this point, Jim Miller's 35 years old. Uh, you know, he got a nice win in his last fight over over Alex White. But I, I think in general, you just look at the, I mean, he was on a four-fight losing streak before that. Oliveira's been a little bit more consistent there. I think Oliveira's, you know, he's got to prove his worth here. I mean, he's also had some laps here. I mean, he lost that fight to Felder. Um, it's this is not a fight I'm confident in. I think I think Oliveira is should you know potentially win this fight just in terms of the age and just the you know the, the run he's been on. But it's Jim Miller, man. You can't count this guy out. Um, I think the value here for sure is on Miller. Uh, Oliveira, there's so many. I mean, is he going to make weight? There's all these things with this guy. It's it's never been about consistency with him. So I see Oliveira probably winning by submission, but you never know with him. Joe is Oliveira in the division now, and by the division I mean. Guida, Lozon, Sanchez, Miller, all these guys that you just uh, throw their name in a hat, pick one out. Kiesa was kind of there for a little while. Uh, maybe Evan Dunham ends up there, but it's just one of those guys you can throw on a Fox main card, and it's like, all right, yeah, sure, fine, whatever. Yeah, it, it's yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, eight years ago, almost to the day, uh, James or Jim Miller did tap out Charles Oliveira with a knee bar. Uh, I was there live for that one. And it caught me by surprise because I thought Oliveira was the future of the division. I thought uh, Jim Miller was going to have his hands full. Well, he had his hands full of somebody's leg uh, and submitted him. So when you're talking about putting five on somebody, Jim Miller's already got a victory over him, number one. Uh, and that will play in Charles Oliveira's head for a bit. It could, could happen at any time. We all know that some fighters can be mentally strong, so it could be mentally unstable. So pay very close attention to that. At plus 250, I think Jim Miller has it. In terms of Oliveira and what he now brings to the cage with the difference uh, since they last fought eight years ago, yeah, man, Charles Oliveira can bring it. 
He could definitely bring it, and there's a reason why he's a minus 300. I think a lot of that has to do – I don't think that's smart money, James or, or Sean. I think that's more the public that's kind of taking those odds and, and separating them. Um, can he pull off the victory? Hell yes, of course he can pull off the victory. I just – you know, you never count Jim Miller out, especially when he has a win over someone there. But, you know, James said it. Jim's older. You never just know when these guys can start saying, okay, body shuts down. Uh, either way, I think it's going to be a fun fight, so let's enjoy it while we can. I told James off the air that Eric Spicely, a UFC fighter that he's interviewed, has a WWE tryout. Uh, Juan Adams, who makes his UFC debut, had a WWE tryout earlier this year. He is a minus 400. I will put five on Chris De La Rocha, <laughs> even though I don't expect him to win. That is a heavyweight fight, plus 325. Maybe some value there, but I do expect Juan Adams to win. Another fight that I am interested in is Andrea Lee, minus 255, uh, taking on Jessica Rose Clark, plus 215. All things equal, I expect Jessica Rose Clark to lose this fight. All that Andrea Lee's been through, you never know what that can do to someone. Apparently, guys, Donnie Aaron's still on the loose. What? Uh, James, I want to know what you think of this prelim show and anything that stands out to you before we move on. Yeah, there's a couple things in here. I'll kind of just zoom through sort of uh, some interesting tidbits here. So Andrea Lee, uh, she is training with Aspen Ladd. Uh, she had trained with her before, but I think uh, sort of uh, the focus of her camp has been there for, for this one, obviously because of the all the issues that are happening back home. So glad to see she's getting some good, because I think Aspen's amazing. Um, you know, So getting yeah. to work with her is great. Jessica Rose Clark also switched camps. Uh, she's no longer at Syndicate. She's now at Extreme Couture. So getting some different looks over there. And uh, the big thing that at least when I when I spoke to her, she uh, she quit drinking. And, uh, you know, I guess she was, she had a problem with alcohol and I guess that was affecting her performance and she also sort of mentioned that her last fight she was kind of getting away from her roots so for this fight she's sort of going to go back to what she's great at which is her grappling and and you know we were talking earlier about title contenders I mean if Andrea Lee wins this fight she's got to be up there too she was a former LFA champion um you know she's someone that uh you know I know people are still uh not fans of her because of her defending her her husband at the time but uh you know she's got some talent um so so big fight here for for the flyweight division um I'm interested to see how uh, Dwight Grant does uh, he's a, a teammate of uh, Dan Daniel Cormier is an American top team. He fights at 170, but he, um, you know, he's looking to shine here. Actually has a, a new opponent. He was uh, supposed to, uh, Zach Otto's coming in on short notice here to take the fight. Um, Dwight Grant's a favorite. I think that's right where it needs to be. Um, this Adam Milstead and Mike Rodriguez fight is interesting too. Adam Milstead basically said, if he doesn't win this fight, he's retiring from MMA. He's done. So he, a lot on the line here for him to win this one. And for Mike Rodriguez, he's got to bounce back from that really disappointing performance against Devin Clark at the, at the New York card. So he's looking to get back in there. And I'm with you on Juan Adams. I mean, Juan is 6'5", and he's got some crazy reach. I think it's like 80 or something. Uh, it's 81. So, I mean, he's just able to bully his opponents. That's sort of what he did in, in Contender Series, which got him the contract. But Chris De La Roca, this guy, we saw it in his last fight yeah. where he got that uh, that, that win over uh, Rashad Coulter. He can surprise, and don't let age fool you. This guy has some talent, and there is a bit of revenge here because Coulter is actually a training partner of Juan Adams. So Juan wanted this fight. He's getting this fight. He's got to go in there and prove it. So those are sort of the things that stand out to me on, on the prelims as far as the fights. And I'm also looking forward to uh, this Dan Ige and Jordan Griffin fight. Uh, you know, rival gyms here, Extreme Couture with Dan Ige, Jordan Griffin out of Rufus Sport. Should be a great fight. And uh, two guys really looking to make their names in the featherweight division. We have a pair of Bellator shows, Friday and Saturday. And to be honest with you, they're, they're pretty good shows. Like from top to bottom, some name value, some prospect, both in Hawaii, back-to-back nights. They're doing this here and there. Uh, a salute to the troops show. And then uh, you have a Lima McFarlane on Saturday on Friday. You finally have Brent premise, Michael Chandler, Michael Chandler is an enormous favorite. I do expect him to win this Joe. What do you think? I, you're not going to be able to convince me. Otherwise I think he wins. I mean, it's just what happened in that first fight. 
Um, I, if he can keep his mind in check, and I know he has because I talked to obviously with with Camaro and stuff like that and what's happening over at um, in Florida at Hard Knocks. So Chandler is something special. I mean, Ch- Chandler is something else. And, you know, what happened in that first fight with the leg injury, uh, he finally gets the opportunity to take on Brent. Um, that's not to say Brent's not a fantastic fighter because he damn is. Uh, I just think Michael Chandler has his number, and I think we're, we're going to see it um, at Bellator 212. Anything can happen in a fight. We know that, but I'm, I'm obviously leaning towards Michael Chandler in this fight. The guy's something special. James? I think there's value in premise here, to be honest. I think a lot of people sure. look at that first fight and say there's an injury, and there's this whole narrative where everyone's on Michael Chandler's side. Like, if you saw the press and everything, premise wasn't getting any play uh, in terms of what happened in that fight, and then they, this was supposed to get booked, and then stuff happened. It seemed like the media narrative has sort of been against premise. So I imagine he's got a chip. Fought since then. Well, that's true, but I, you know, he became a father. He had some injuries. There's a bunch of stuff that happened in between there. Just talking to his management group, and I think, I think Primus is still a great fighter. I think people can't be blinded by the fact that yes, there was an injury in the first fight, but Brent Primus is still pretty good himself. Eight straight wins, undefeated. I mean, Chandler on paper is the better fighter. I think the odds are where they need to be, but I might throw five on Primus here because I think again the pressure here is on Chandler. He has to win. He chose to sign with resign with Bellator. He probably could have gone to the UFC. Yeah. He's, he's had all these opportunities, and you know this is it. He's got to back it up. If he can't, if he he can't get this win here it's going to look terrible no one's expecting brent to win but brent could have that potential where he could go in there got nothing to lose people are counting me out he could surprise people so i, I wouldn't count out brent premise in this fight completely yeah even before that it had been about 14 months since he had fought before that so he needs to be more active regardless you also have frank Mir and javi ayala that's just going to be probably either frank Mir taking javi ayala down and submitting him or javi ayala connecting with a punch cracking him, knocking him out. You have AJ McKee on the show. Uh, he is an undefeated prospect, essentially, that is quickly emerging up the ranks. Taiwan Claxton is on the prelims. That's a name to look out for. Um, when I say that Bellator's confusingly run, how about Chris Avila being booked on this show? Arguably the worst UFC fighter I've seen this side of CM Punk. Was bounced oh, out of the UFC. Was bounced out of the UFC. Lost to Artem Lobov. Bounced out of the UFC months later. Signed by Combate, lost his way out of there, lost another fight in between, has not won since. He's still in this Bellator show. Uh, James, anything on, on this uh, 212 show that you're particularly looking forward to outside of the main event? No, this is what, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think for me, I, Tywon Claxton is the real deal. Um, you know, everything I hear at a Hard Knocks is this guy's, you know, legit. AJ McKee, I think just getting a fight to keep his, keep him warm. But I mean, McKee at this point, I mean, he's pretty much done enough to earn himself a title shot. Um, so I think this is just one of those situations where they just want to keep him active. I think Derek Campos and Sam Cecilia is going to be a good fight. Two guys, you know, veterans really looking to make a name for themselves. So I'm excited for that one. And the women's fight should be good. Uh, Alejandra Lara coming off the, the loss to Alina Lee McFarlane, looking to bounce back against this undefeated Brazilian prospect, Juliana vasquez so um yeah i mean this is this is a great card again i just i hate how they do the back-to-back cards it's tough like as a dad as someone who has other stuff going on i gotta pick and choose i'll probably pvr one watch the other one live but it's just a shame that it's it's just a lot and then we have the milwaukee card as well so there's a lot going on this weekend yeah and i'll probably try to do a live show after the milwaukee show but to be honest with you this saturday night bellator show is real good alimele mcfarlane against valerie letourneau joe who you got in that one oh it's a good fight i really like that fight it's it's I think McFarland takes it. Uh, I think she's just that, that got that edge. Uh, you know, not to say Valerie doesn't have doesn't still have it. She's she's a veteran of the sport. Uh, I just think McFarland takes this fight. I think one of the best fights of this weekend is Ed Ruth and Neiman Gracie from an interest. Like I am so interested in this fight, James. Bellator yeah. welterweight Grand Prix opening round. A couple of undefeated fighters. We know Neiman Gracie's strength. It's on the ground. 
But that's Ed Ruth's strength, too. And he's real good there. Also, he can put you to sleep. I'm real interested in that. I think Ed Ruth gets it done. I do too. And, you know, Ed Ruth switched camps. Uh, you know, dethrone base camp is pretty much over. Like a lot of those guys had yeah. to leave. Josh Koscheck now running a business, uh, apparently in North Carolina. So uh, the gym's still running, but not like a pro team. So interested to see if those adjustments will make a difference. I'm actually pretty intrigued by the co-main event too. Lyoto Machida, Rafael Carvalho. As, was it just that Carvalho fought not great competition and that he <laughs> has this record? Or is it the fact that he, you know, he just lost to a really good guy in Gigard Musasi? We're going to find out because Machida, I mean, he's had his moments where he's still shown signs of life in the 185 pound division i mean he chose to sign with bellator it looked like the ufc wanted to keep him so uh we'll see a lot i mean personally i i kind of want to see machida win so we get that rematch with gegard musasi because yeah. uh you know there, there was a lot you know gegard if you watch those interviews he accused leota of a few things so oh yeah great. Great. yeah so joe what do you have in machida carvalho very good question <laughs> That, I mean, that's just me thinking out loud in terms of what does this actually, like what actually will take place in this fight in terms of, does, is Leoto, has he completely slowed down? Because if Carvalho gets a hold of him, it's going to be ugly. Like it will be ugly for Leoto, but can, can he get a hold of him? Because if he can't, I think his face is going to be just bobbing back and forth. So um, I, I, I'm going to lean towards Leoto in this fight. How's that? Uh, I think I will as well. Uh, we have Derek Compost and Sam Cecilia on Friday night as well. Uh, not not a major mountain moving fight, but King Mo Liam McGeary is one that people are going to recognize from a name value. I think it has the makings to be a completely boring fight. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. I think. I don't. I think. It's, I think I see a good fight here. Ah man, I would be shocked if we see a good King Mo fight at this stage. Oh wow! wow. I, I think we may never see another good King Mo fight again. And. You know, nothing. I think he's going to win it. I just think he's going to win it. Joe, what do you think as we wrap up? Uh, if Mohammed's going to win? Yeah, 38 next month, by the way. Yeah, I think Liam McGurry takes this fight. I really do. I know, um, you know, he's, he's not who he was in the past. He's, he's lost three of his last four. Um, you know, one of them was the Vadim Demkov, though, and Linton Vassell. So I, I think Liam McGurry is going to wake up from this, uh, wake up from this bad little skid here uh, and just, you know, take out Lawal. Somewhere or another, I can see what you're saying. It could be a boring fight, uh, potentially a mall and brawl fight, but I think uh, Liam's knees are going to be flying left and right here, uh, and he'll catch Muhammad. I think that Muhammad would catch one of those knees and drag him to the ground <laughs> and probably sit inside control forever. Uh, James, it's very humbling to hear King Mo's going to be 38 next month. I remember when he was like the late 20 year old prospect in Sengoku in Japan and all that yep. stuff, and you were talking about. King Mo weight. He would fight at any weight and all that stuff. And he still does, but uh, a nice name for Bellator to throw on the early part of this show, I think. Yeah. And one of the other reasons I think this fight could be really boring too, is they're friends. I mean, they didn't want to yeah. fight each other and uh, there was some reluctance on both ends of, of taking the matchup, but you know, it's business. They got to take care of it. And McGeary is no spring chicken either. He's 36 years old. Um, he's actually moved. Uh, so, you know, he, his family actually moved to Hawaii, uh, but he's actually training in California for this camp with um, like Joey Beltran and those guys. I forget what gym that is. So he switched things up because obviously what he was doing wasn't working. Um, we'll see. I mean, I think the wrestling, like you guys sort of touched on, will work well. And I should mention too, King Mo, a uh, a big part of Alexander Rakic's uh, camp who just won this past weekend uh, in the UFC 231 card. So, uh, you know, getting in a lot of good work because uh, Mo's an American top team now. I will have a wrap-up podcast Saturday night. Hopefully, I'll be able to co cover all three. It is a busy weekend. Ring of Honor final battle on Friday. Reminder, follow us at Fightful MMA or Fightful Online. You can go to FightfulMMA.com. 
want to welcome you guys to our, our discus boards on those. We're trying to grow that community slowly but surely. Most direct way to support Fightful is FightfulSelect.com, our subscription service. But leave a thumbs up on this video and subscribe. I really want to get us to 1,000 subscribers. You all can follow James at Lynch on Sports. You can follow Joe at Showdown Joe, myself at Sean Ross Sapp. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. Till next time.